I hope and trust you've all had a great week and I welcome you all back to the Westminster class. <clears throat> Again, I want to give thanks to those of you who have contributed to the ongoing financial support of this class. As I told you last week, we do this without much of a budget and I try and reward our speakers. I think we, we've been blessed with great speakers and many of you have contributed. Uh, it's a year-end tax-deductible gift. I'm grateful because it allows me to continue this class. And those of you who support it, I greatly appreciate it. Jim's going to open this morning in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, for unto us a child has been born, a son given. All authority rests upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You have given us the lyrics. You have given us the song. Songs we've learned from childhood. Joy to the world that goes right down the major scale, all eight notes. And you've given us the dance. And with a Presbyterian heritage, we're reluctant to dance. Our forebears didn't hold with dancing. But I believe you would have us know this week of all weeks, we should recite the words, we should sing the songs, and we should get up and dance. Amen. Well, I could bring some of my African friends over and teach you how to dance. Uh, I have been personally instructed in tribal dancing in Africa, for real. Uh, my little friends taught me how to dance, uh, and no demonstrations today. And uh, I got to uh, have one of the great fun events of my life when I, I went to the last day of a school closing uh, in Africa. It was in Ghana. And their, their last day of school was they hired a DJ and brought... And, and they played some real, authentic African hip-hop. And all of the kids went out into the uh, sand courtyard and danced. And it was very fun. Uh, then the DJ says, uh, I forget the term they call uh, white boys, but uh, they had a term for it, uh, uh, Felica or something like that. And every time I'd go in the village, they'd all scream, you know, Felica, Felica. So he said, you're the only Felica here. You've watched us dance. Now you get up and dance. So I had to get up in front of like 500 kids and give my version of um, African dancing. They were impressed, too. <laughs> Especially when I, I don't know, do you ever see Africans dance in Africa? They always have like a hanky. They do it in America, too, and wave it. So the, the capper of my dance was when I picked picked up a piece of trash off the ground and waved it. They thought that was fantastic. <clears throat> hey, good morning, everybody. Morning. Um, I don't know if we have enough handouts for everybody that's come in, but this is one that gives you a survey of our course. Uh, and I want to point out again to everybody that's here that next week, this, this is an error and I'm sorry about it, but next week there is no class. So what we're going to do is shove the last two classes forward. So instead of the 27th, next week being God is light, then we will meet on the 4th of January for that, and then the 11th 
after that for the last part of the course. So just so that you are aware. And this course, what it is, is taking, uh, it's anchored in the Gospel of John, and we're moving through certain passages that John has identified uh, statements about God. Last week, we studied from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and who remembers what we learned? God is spirit, yes. And today, we're going to go to 1 John, chapter 4, which is where I'd like you to go. And uh, we're going to find out today that God is agape. Agape is the heart and core of the New Testament, as you probably know. So what we're going to do today is talk about, hopefully, three things. I want to share with you some things you might know. I'm going to talk about some love words, words that uh, for love uh, that we don't have in the English language, but we have in Greek, and it gives us a nuanced approach to try to understand and work our way towards what does agape mean and what does John mean when he says God is agape. Now, I hope you have a Bible because I am going to read this section to you from 1 John. I think we should read it together. I mean, I'll read it and you just read along with me. I'm going to start at verse 7, 1 John 4, and we're going to go down to the end of verse 21 so that you can see in context this famous concept that God is love. You ready? 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. The one that loves not does not know God, for God is. And now I'm going to start reading it the way it is in Greek, okay? God is agape. In this was manifested the agape of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to agape one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we agape one another, God lives or dwells in us and God's love is perfected, God's agape is perfected in us. Uh, this is how we know that we dwell in God and God in us, because God has given to us of God's spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in that person and, and that person in God. And we have known and believed the agape that God has to us. God is agape. And the one that dwells in agape dwells in God and God in that person. This is how our agape is made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as God is, or Christ is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in agape. But perfect agape cast out fear because fear has torment or punishment. The one that fears is not made perfect in agape. We agape God because God first agaped us. If a person says, I love God and hates their brother, 
or sister. They are a liar, for they, the one that loves not his brother or sister whom they have seen, how can they love God whom they have not seen? And this commandment we have from God, that the one who loves God love his brother also. All right, so we've got our big idea for today. This is the essence and heart of God. So let's talk about some key words from Greek in love that talk about love. And you'll remember many of them, I'm sure. Does anyone know one off the top of your head that you can give to us? A different, a, a Greek word for love. Eros. Oh, okay. This we see most frequently and tragically blinking in red lights in districts all over the world. What does that mean when you see Eros blinking in red lights? What, what's going to be going on there? Uh, it's probably some sort of sexual uh, connotation and perversion and, or prostitution or something. But it's a tragedy that that word has been used that way. Um, in classical Greek, what it really means is romantic love. It means love that is the full-orbed expression of what it means to be in love with another person in a romantic sense. Does it include sexuality? Absolutely. But it isn't exclusively related to, to that at all. It is the kind of love that you feel when we talk about being in love. So that's one kind of love. But when the Bible says God is agape, it does not mean that God is eros. Now, who's got another one? What's another type of love? Philia. Can anybody see an uh, English word that we get from that? Philadelphia. Why is Philadelphia called Philadelphia? Yeah, city of, city of brotherly love. Adelphos means brother. Philia means love. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? <laughs> how's, it, how's it doing? <laughs> that's, a, that's a high standard to set your name for your city as Philadelphia. What is this kind of love? It's friendship love. It's the love that you have for other people when you uh, become friends with them, when you admire them, when you have something in common with them, when you like them. Friendship love. What else is there? Yes! Family! Storge is the Greek word for family love. Now, uh, how many of you know that uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas are the two greatest uh, tension-wracked holidays for families? I mean, the mental health profession tells us this. This is a great stress for people. Now, why is that? Well, uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons. We love our families, but we also have all of the stuff that is attached to family issues, history, problems, tension, stress. But the thing is, even though that's all part of that package, we still go and do it, and we still hang out with each other. Why? For what? Well, yes, I think there is a dimension of that, but there's another reason, too, that's a little deeper, I think. 
Well, yes, you love them sometimes, right? You're, you're, now, you're doing a great job of moving us towards agape. <laughs> Family members, you can love them unconditionally, and sometimes you have to, for sure. But the reason that we love them in the first place is why? We hope they believe to love us back. <laughs> well, now, <clears throat> I, I think that's probably part of the... the sure, we want to be loved back. Loving... You know, even John spoke of that motive. Did you see it? And he said, we love not, we didn't love God first. God loved us first. Okay, somebody else was going to say something here. You can see where the dysfunction from family comes from, from these answers. Um, just the fact that you're related by blood and you have a long history. It's your family. You may not like them. It may not be your preference to always hang. You might find it much more enjoyable to go spend time with your friends. But you spend time with them and you hang out with them and you stay with them because why? Because they're your family. So that's the core and heart and essence of storge love. You love people because you're related to them or you like them or that you're in some sort of romantic trance with them which develops and blossoms over time into a relationship. Now, when you read the First John passage, when you read the New Testament, when you are trying to figure out what it means when it says that God is love, what you have to understand is these all can fit up underneath agape, and they can all be moderated by agape, they can all be uh, refined by agape, but this is not agape, and why not? What's the difference between agape and these loves. Ah, this involves sacrifice. Right? Agape is love of all. What do you mean by that? And by the way, where's our mic? Because I think she's got something cool to say here. You want to run? Good. We have a runner. Well, walk, fast walker. Fast walker. Who's, who's that next? Um, so the agape is love of all in Greek, and so when, the way I see it, um, my translation, I have an agape ring, and my translation of agape is God's love. We'll get it, because you've got something important to say. And so, that's... So you, your vision is agape is bigger and more all-inclusive mm -hmm. than these kinds of love that tend to be more focused, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's really a good, good insight. Very good, thank you. All three of the Lord without God. 
You can. Um, we just have to listen to um, social media, the media itself, movies, music, plays. What are they all about? Love in some component, but not necessarily bringing God's part into it. So that's another great distinction. You can have these without God. Now we're getting hot, but let's, let's get here, here first and we'll go right Lower back. Three are self-generated. Uh, these are self-generated, meaning they come from the human experience. They come from humans. You don't have to be a Christian to fall in love, right, with another person. You don't have to be a Christian to have Christ living in you, to be friends with people. So those things come out of the human. This is God. God is agape. And I want you to keep that in your mind today because these, when we talk about these things, what do we tend to do? It, we tend to depersonalize them, correct? We talk about friendship love as if it's a thing in and of itself an abstract thing, or we talk about being in love as if it's a thing in and of itself. What the Bible is saying is, is that God, love at the highest level is actually not a thing or an object, but is actually what? A person. So the highest manifestation of God in the cosmos is a person, not a thing, object, or feeling. And so that's why we can't generate agape. We can only generate this. Now, what about this unconditional thing? This is usually used uh, in association with agape. What do you mean by unconditional? Human love tends, uh, in my opinion, it's usually a two-way street. We think of God's love as being unconditional. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. Permanent? You lost that loving feeling. Permanent. Barnabas and Paul were pretty good buddies at one point. I don't know if they got back together and became friends, but pretty hot conflict between the two of them. Permanent. Cain, whoa, Cain and Abel. Subject to, uh, it's human, all human generated, subject to all of the frailties and faults that we humans carry. Uh, and almost always predicated upon, as you said, a two-way street, a give and a get, and uh, almost always conditional. Uh, Agape love is sourced in God. It's beyond conditions. It's a gift. And I'm going to show you today from 1 John the essence of this experience. And God is love. So if you look with me at verse 9 now, we want to, we want to pick out manifestation of agape. Number one, we want to see how God has manifested this love uh, that is called agape in our world. And there's two main manifestations in this passage that we want to pay attention to. And the first one is in verse 9 and 10. 
<clears throat> this is how, this is the way uh, the God's love, agape love, was manifested toward us. Now, who's got a different translation besides manifested? Shown, appeared, and out on the front of the uh, placard in front of the church today, uh, there's an advertisement that uses a word that we frequently use at Christmas time. Did anybody notice it? Many starts with an E. Epiphanies. What's an epiphany? It's, it's kind of an aha moment. It's a bright light, something that appears Us- nowhere. Usually a bright brightness about it. A sudden, a sudden deep thought, like clarity. Okay, yeah, very good. A sudden realization of something, a manifestation, an appearance, a coming into something. Okay, so this is what John is talking about here when he says manifestation. It's the, it's the a core word that's very similar to epiphany. So how was God's love manifested? God's agape manifested toward us. Because God sent, that's the first thing I want you to see, his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So what's the first way, according to this passage, that the God who is love manifested or showed that love, that agape love to us? He sent Christ through Jesus. He sent his only son. Now, when he says sent, implied in all of that is this idea of incarnation. What are we celebrating this week? The incarnation. So the incarnation in and of itself is the first, it's 1.0. This is the manifestation of God as agape the personification of God as agape into our world. Does he tell us why in this passage God did this? Why did God incarnate himself among us and become one of us? Uh, uh, well, it, it, is, yeah, it's, it is the expression of God's love, absolutely. Does he give you any other little reason in that verse? That we might live through him. So now we have to learn some more Greek words. <clears throat> when he says that this was manifested in the incarnation so that we might live, if we're going to understand that, we might want to ask ourselves the question, but aren't we already alive? What does he mean that we might live through the incarnation? So, Not perish. So what kind of life do we have at the present time? We have mortal life. I can tell you've been to Bible school. We have what is called bios. We have biological life. It uh, it has a beginning. It has an end point. Uh, It's subject to all of the frailties of uh, anything that's been created. Uh, when he says that the incarnation is the personification of agape love and it was done so that we might live through Christ, he's obviously not talking about this because we're already alive. So what is he talking about? He's talking about another kind of life that can only come when we're connected to the God who is uh, agape. And that kind of... (coughs) Life, in Greek, is called zoe. Zoe is the life of God. 
So God's purpose of incarnating among us, of actually becoming a human being, uh, to demonstrate God as agape, is so that we would have the experience, eventually, of having this kind of life and not just this kind of life. It's an opportunity for each one of us. This you don't get from your parents. This you get from your parents. This you can only get from God. God has to do it for you. Now, did you notice how the passage started, verse 7? Uh, and he, he brings up this interesting um, uh, concept. He says, we should basically agape one another because God is from, love is agape is from God, and agape, God is agape. But what does he say? He's talking to a class of people there. He says something curious. And everybody that is what? Born, keep reading, born how? Born of God knows something about and experiences this. So he's referring to the experience of when the Holy Spirit comes into a person and creates God's spiritual life, actually lives inside of them. And that comes, of course, through faith in Christ. So this is a gift. This is a gift, too, but it comes from your parents. This comes from God, Zoe. Now, let's keep going a little bit further. Let's go to verse 10. <clears throat> He's told us um, that uh, the incarnation is the personification of Agape, and he's told us that the reason for it was that we might have a kind of life that we can't get any other way, which is uh, Zoe. And then in verse 10, he says, this is what agape really is, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So part of the incarnation was obviously to become a man, become a body, become a human, but the reason that he did all of that is contained in the verse. Why did he do it? So that he could do what? To save us. And does he tell you how? To become a, and your translations might be different than the one I read, so who's got atonement? Expiation, propitiation, Atonement, anybody else, anybody, anything? Atoning sacrifice. Okay, so now what I want to do is explain to you, oops, so sorry. And if you have a Bible, I'd like you to look with me at Leviticus 17.11. Because now we have to understand a deep-rooted Jewish idea that helps us understand that God is love. 17.11. So I'm going to use this word because I think it's a little bit more relevant than expiation and propitiation. We don't talk like that anymore. So let's use this one. So, 1711, Leviticus, what's it say? The life of a creature is where? In its blood. And I have given it to you, meaning the blood, to do what? Make atonement or atonement for your souls. So now we have a bunch of concepts in this um, 
passage. Where is the life of a creature? In its blood. So God, from the very beginning with the Jewish people, set this notion up. Life is equal to blood. Blood is equal to life. It's, they're an equivalent construct. Uh, the life of a creature is in the blood. I've given it to you so that you can make atonement for yourselves on the altar. So this ancient tradition of the Jewish priests um, come here for a second. Yes, you. This is what you get for talking up in class. So, um, uh, have you ever sinned? Yeah. <laughs> so, the reason I need to know is because you're going to be the sinner today. Okay. So, what every Jewish person had to do three times a year, uh, they had to do it, the men had to do it for their family. Uh, vicariously, but the women were included in this whole thing, so uh, they would have to bring a lamb for their family and it would be just as this one is, spotless, perfect and then, uh, does anyone know what the sinner would have to do? Uh, they, some of you have seen me do this before um, she would have to put her hand on the head of the lamb identifying with it solidifying her union with this lamb. And then does anyone know what she would have to do? No, she can't do that. She can't kill it. Why not? <laughs> because she's a sinner. Now, guess what my role is? I get to be the priest, okay? Now, I'm a sinner too, but she doesn't know this, but before the whole class and in this little imaginary thing, I already confessed my sins and I already offered a sacrifice. I had a sacrifice offered for me. I already took care of my sins. So right now I'm sinless. But you're, but you are, I'm a sinner. you're a sinner, right. Okay, so what does she have to do? She can't kill the animal. She's in a state of sin. What does she do? By putting her hand on the head, she does what? She's, she's going to transfer her sin into this animal by identifying with it and by confessing, not to me, but through me or in front of me as a representative of God, but she's actually confessing to God all that she did that she wants to have taken out of her life. So, um, do you want to start? Not. <laughs> Probably not. I wouldn't either. All right, so after she would be done confessing, keep your hand there. The priest would take the, and with one deft stroke of the knife, would cut the lamb's throat. What happens to the blood? It explodes out all over the altar. This is important. On the altar. What is blood? Life. So that means that because she put her sin into the animal, the animal now what? What happened to the animal? It dies. Why? Because sin is death. Now, where did the life go? Ah, who said that? It goes symbolically, spiritually, not, not literally. And in God's eyes, symbolically, literally, the animal's life goes where? Into her. So that she's now what? 
She's not guilty anymore. Her sins have been covered. She's in a state. I'm shaking your hand because you're in a state of. Atonement. And atonement is a made up word. I don't know if you know that. You can sit down now. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're a great helper. Atonement is a made up word, it comes from the Hebrew word koper, which means to cover. Can you see any English we, word we get from koper? Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. So they took this Hebrew word and they tried to get it into English and they say, it has so rich, it's it's such a deep meaning. What what could it possibly, how can we use one word to convey everything that this word means, to cover, to take away, to um, bridge the gap that existed at one point because of the separation between God and humans. And they came up and they just made this word up. Well, it, it, the, the essence of the whole thing is, is to be at one with God, so we'll just make this word up. And it became atonement. So when we talk about the personification of agape love in the person of Jesus, what was the point of the incarnation? What was the real point of the incarnation? Well, yes, to to show God's love, but to to what? So that we might live through Christ, so that we can have this experience of atonement. So we are now to believe that actually the birth of Christ all along was leading to this very point. This is the personification. This is the demonstration that God is agape. Because when he died on the cross, what happened? God, the one who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what God did was take the sins of the entire world and put them on him and uh, in, in doing so, as we're going to see, he released us from the obligations and the, and the penalties and the death that is associated with that. Now, what did the people in the Older Testament have to do to have that exchange take place? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The point is for us to become the righteousness of God. How did the people in the Older Testament experience that uh, state of at one minute of the sense of God's love that I'm right with God again? What did they have to do? They had to take an animal and sacrifice and confess. This is a one-time event. It's unique in history. It'll never happen again. It was so perfect it never has to be done again. When it was done... We weren't there. So how are we going to get the life of Christ if, if he came, was incarnated, and was made a propitiation for our sins? How are we going to get the life of Christ into us now? It's, 
John says over and over again, it is when you place your faith in Christ's death in, in, as the only solution for our sins. When you do that, God takes his life, his life and his righteousness, and he gives that to you as a gift. And what do you give to him? Ah, well, eventually God will get around to that. But I'm talking about right at the beginning. Yes, eventually God will bring up the matter of obedience. But right now we're at, at the beginning. What, what do you give to Christ? He's giving to you the personified uh, agape of God because God is agape. And, and he's giving to you his life, zoe, so that you can become one with God. What are you giving to him? You're actually exchanging your bios. You're giving your life to him. And your life is, my life, my life is filled with what? Well, sometimes it's filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> what do we give to, to the Lamb? What do we give to Jesus? Our sins. It's an exchange. Now, if you just stop there and ponder this, what is agape love? God is giving to us what? The very best, the ev everything, everything that we need, the person of Jesus, life. What are we giving to him? Our brokenness, our sins. That's agape. That is the number one ultimate standard definition in the Bible. When the Bible says God is agape, you just walked into it. The, the love that God showed to us in the person of Jesus is the standard of definition of agape. Now I'm going to stop there. Does anybody want to talk or have a question or a comment? Seems like there might be. How can you top that? Uh, what? Uh, you cannot, uh, you can search through the Bible. This is the apex. This is the mountaintop. This is what agape is. Yes. So There's the mic. Oh. Sorry. So essentially, when God demonstrates his agape love to us, and we're called to agape others, it's God that we're giving to them, not anything of us. Well, either you're a genius, and, or, and I'm a genius too, or we're in it's a cult. It's all him. It's, it's all a, him. Because what did you say again, what you just said? Well, when God gives us, demonstrates his agape to us, the only way that we can demonstrate agape to others is by sharing him and his agape with others because we don't got it in us. Perfect segue. Now I want you to go to chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, and I want to work off of your comment. The, yes. First John. These all are rooted in the human experience. This experience that we just talked about through Christ is rooted in what God does for us. Remember what John says. We love not because we loved God first. Who loved first? 
God took the initiative. This is all God doing this on God's own initiative. If we'd have been left onto our own, uh, we wouldn't have, uh, very few of us would have opened ourselves, if any, to God. So, now we get to the second part, which is Epiphany 2.0. This happened 1900 and some years ago. Uh, None of us actually saw it. Now, we want to get to what is God doing ongoingly in the world to make agape manifested. So let's start at verse 12 and verse 13. This is very interesting to me. Uh, No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another and God dwells in us and God's love is perfected in us. Now what does your translation say besides perfected? made complete. Now go down to verse 17. This is how, uh, our, this is how our love is made what? Your translation says perfect? Okay. Uh, anybody say complete? This is how our love is made complete. Uh, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world. And also then now go to verse 18. There's no fear in love but what kind of love? Perfect love cast off fear. Now, why does he three times in this passage qualify agape with this term perfect? What does he mean, perfect agape? Okay, so he uses the Greek word here, telos. And uh, it's used in philosophy, it's used in all kinds of different applications in science. Teleological means something that is working towards a designed end. When you have a telos factor in anything, it means there was a plan and a purpose and it works towards a conclusion that had an intelligence built into it. So when you plant an orange seed, you expect what? You expect eventually the genetic information in that seed is going to lead to what? And when you have oranges, then you would say, are you going to say that orange tree is perfect? And we don't mean perfect in the same sense that we mean God is perfect. We mean what? It produces, it's a fully developed functioning tree. It's functioning the way that it was designed to function. So when, when the Bible uses this term to describe certain things, it doesn't mean, for example, that we are ever to be as perfect as God is. One of the passages that has um, stressed Christians out for 1,900 years is the one that the Master said uh, at the uh, sixth chapter of um, the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, you are to be perfect as... My heavenly Father is perfect. And when you read that, you can fall into despair because why? We, we can't do it. But if you will go back and look in the context of that passage in Matthew 6, he's describing the way God is in that passage. And he says that the God that I know causes rain to fall on wicked people and good people. The God that I know causes sun to shine on good people and evil people. Uh, And so Jesus draws the conclusion from that, what do we know about God? 
If you drive through Hartfell, you don't see the farms where the people go to church all bristling with corn and uh, produce and the ones that are runs by, run by atheists all beaten down and uh, with no produce, right? So what is Jesus' point? God does what? Showers everyone with love. So then when he says, so therefore I want you to be perfect like God is, what he really means is I want you to be so fully developed in agape that you begin to treat one another the way God treats people because God is You get the point? So are we ever going to be perfect in this? No, but the Bible and John teach that it's possible for a human being to have an experience down here with Jesus by faith that they experience God's agape and that something can happen to them. They can begin a process of what? Growing and growing and growing and allowing the agape love to become the primary expression of God in them. And so when you said that when we're actually giving agape to people, we're giving God to people, that's precisely John's point. Because agape doesn't get generated out of our human flesh, it comes from God living inside of us. So what we're really doing when the Bible says to love one another is that you're allowing, we can allow, this person who did this event on the, on the tree one time, where is this person right now? Well, the one way we, one traditional answer is he's sitting at the right hand of God, and I, I believe that too. Where, look at First John four four. Where is Jesus right now? What does First John four four say? Greater is the one that is in you than the one that is in the world. So, what the New Testament is teaching is is that when you first put faith in Jesus, when you and I do that, what happens to us? Something happens to us. Did you pick it up from John's passage today? So, you receive Christ's life. These are all synonyms. So you don't receive some abstract burst of life when it says you receive Christ's life, you're receiving, where is Christ's life? It's within, it's within you because Christ's life is where? Yeah, but just keep, keep thinking with me. But he sacrifices life, but he's alive now, so where is that life? It's with the God. It's with it's in Christ. Where's Christ? In us, so you have the, the living Christ living inside of you. So when John keeps calling us to love one another, it's another way of saying what? Allow 
the Christ that is living inside of you to manifest through you to other people. Now, can you do that in your own power? No, this is why we have so many difficulties in the Christian experience. Because what did Jesus tell us that his only commandment, this is the one commandment I'm giving to you. This, love one another how? As, as I have loved you. That's, that's and, and did he say anything about that commandment? Did he say any qualifiers on it? Did he, did he add anything? This is how all people will know that you are my followers. If you love one another as I have loved you. So he's given us, a, as, as it were, a task that we just learned today. We can't do in our own power. The only that way that we can do it is to let God do it in and through us. And then with a few minutes that we have left, I want to show you, anchor this in your mind to make sure you understand this. This is how God does it inside of us. Sure, uh, this is agape, not that we agaped God, but that God agaped us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God, actually, beloved, agape, agape toy, he actually calls him agape toy. If God so agaped us, we ought also to agape one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. So he is so saying... Those two, in verse 12, those two are not the agape? Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I read it wrong. Uh, yeah, they're all agape. Okay. All right. Thank yeah. you. But look at verse 13. What's, what is... Uh, or 14. This answers your uh, question. Verse 12. I'm sorry. The one you asked me to read. Where is Epiphany 2.0? We've seen number one in the person of Jesus. Where is Epiphany 2.0? Where, where is Agape going to be seen now? The, no one has ever seen God at any time. Notice how he's setting this up. We've never seen God. But, he says, if what? If agape, if the agape of Christ is filling a community, it will be as if what? It will be the manifestation of God is agape among the community. And therefore, in effect, you will be seeing what? God. Okay? So this is epiphany number two the agape of God in the community. Now, before you go, I want you to go over to Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 8, and I want to show you something that will hopefully bring this whole thing together. It's actually verse 5. So we have... Uh, Eros, Storge, Philia inside of us. We, we don't have agape. So this passage very clearly says what? What does God do for us once we become Christian? Hope makes us not ashamed because the agape of God is what? Poured 
into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So if something has to be poured into you, that means what? It wasn't in you in the first place, right? So it's being put inside of you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a refutation and a contradiction of everything I'm trying to teach you today. Because I'm up here talking, it's so hard to keep this straight sometimes. I keep talking about pouring what? It. I don't want to say it, because agape is not an it. Agape is what? So what does the Holy Spirit actually do for us when we become Christians? Pours himself. God as a person gets poured into us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're there. The very same person, the very love that caused this person to have the courage to go to the cross for us is now currently where? In us. Perfected yet? But the New Testament holds out the promise to us. Let me ask you a difficult question. I'll ask it myself, too. Uh, do you remember the master asked somebody uh, when they were sick, at, at sitting at the side of the pool, does anybody remember what the master asked this person? Do you want to be healed? Now, Let's ask ourselves the question. Do we want to be perfected in agape? Because God says, I can do that in you. I can make your life an expression of the very agape love of God that caused Jesus to go to the cross. I can fill you to infinite degrees of agape, whatever level that you want. My question to myself and to you today is, is that what we want? Or, in just a second, Dr. Smith, do we want to stay back here with a little bit of agape? This whole process that John's talking about is the process that God wants to take us from all of the love's to the perfected love of God. It's possible we can have that experience. And Dr. Smith, ask us our uh, last what, question. What I originally, what popped in my mind when you drew those curly circles up to Telos was the sanctification process. And, but then you, the next thing that you mentioned up was, do you want to be healed? Lots of times for all of us, it is more comfortable to say, in the way we are because it's harder work going to get cured uh, to take care of something to uh, advance well uh, somebody already said tonight um, or today uh, what did he say before he did this event forgive them they don't know what they're doing prior to that if it's possible, if it's possible, I'd like to be excused from this assignment. <laughs> Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So your point is that ultimately agape is a giving of yourself, is a surrender of yourself. 
He did it first, and now he's asking you and I what? Let me do it inside of you. I'll, I'll do it 2.0. I'll do it over again. I'll come inside of you and I'll, I'll fill your heart with the same kind of love that caused me to go to the cross and I'll make you into something like me. But try to do it on your own. Forget it. Why is it that we will be that way for a few days and then step back? Be centered with, on, on agape for a few days? Um, well, I, I, th I think that's why I'm trying to be realistic by showing you the that's why John keeps talking about perfected love, complete love, telos love, because all through the letter of John, he's always talking to people at their different stages. Uh, later today, uh, the Browns aren't playing today, right? Yeah. Well, they'll be out in the field. They'll be out in the field. <laughs> all right, at halftime, uh, at halftime, pick up 1 John chapter 2 and read in there, and you'll see he gives four classifications of people. Uh, some he calls, uh, and I'm going to give you the English translations of them, the, the real meaning of them. Some are called uh, crib, crib Christians, some are called toddlers, some are called adolescents, and some are called adults. Now, I know that the, your English translation says something a little bit different, but that's what it means. Okay, so when you become a Christian, you're at first what? A crib Christian. Then... You go through the toddler stage. Then you become an adolescent Christian. And if all goes well, and you can, if you completely yield yourself and keep yielding yourself to God who is agape, God will allow you to blossom into this kind of complete uh, agape-centered person. The, the reason that we keep slipping back is because we're in process. And everybody's at a different stage. I don't know where you're at, uh, uh, any fully developed Christians here, fathers and mothers, what John calls completely realized cosmic saints? Someday. Someday. We're Someday. working on it. Yes, Doc? I, I always ask John or Joanne where I am. <laughs> and she knows, too. That's the problem. Go ahead. If the reason for the incarnation is the uh, crucified God, and we are to love as he loved us, that really implies that we love agape love implies sacrifice. Now wait a second. Give, the, give him that mic. Say again. The whole thing? <laughs> the last uh, if we believe particular. that the, the reason for the incarnation is the crucified God, and we are to love as he loved us, then that implies that sacrifice is a part of our agape love. And I would suggest that that may mean we take a bullet rather than give a bullet. Yeah, and I'm telling you, this is not something that um, you can legislate or give an ethical rule on or say, um, here's the formula for how you get to that place. But <clears throat> I honestly believe that what God is trying to do in this world is to create Epiphanies 2.0. And one of the greatest needs that we have among Christians today are people that are oriented the way that you're talking about. 
that might even be willing to sacrifice their lives to make a statement that God is agape. Now, the problem is we can't make it a rule. It's, it's got to be something that happens to the individual as they blossom and get to the state where they look at another human being and they realize what? Jesus died for him so that he could have life. How can I kill him? But that's something that has to go on inside of your head and your heart. Spiritually, it can't be legislated. Every time it's tried to be legislated one way or the other, it never worked out. Time for one more comment, and then you guys got to go. Well, I, as, as Dr. Smith was asking, you know, why some days we're okay at this, and then the next day we just completely blow it. I, as I look at your progression, yes, there, you know, we are hopefully 20 years later further along in our Christian development, but, but I would postulate that in that process forward, we often make huge jumps backwards in given moments and in different, and on given days, where one day I really am a mature mother in Christ, and the next day I'm a what screaming, we, bawling what do we call baby. That in the human developmental stage? <laughs> Isn't that called an adolescent? <laughs> um, but. But, but I, would, I would postulate that all of us have those moments when we're not willing to take that bullet. That's why I ask you that how many of mothers and fathers here that are fully realized in Christ, no one raised their hand, so I have to assume that the rest of us are at least what? Adolescents, toddlers, or cribs? So, but, but the bottom line is we are enslaved to sin. We, we are slaves to sin. And the only way we come free from that moment by moment by moment is by consciously dwelling in Christ. Not only that Christ dwells in us, but that we consciously dwell in him. And every moment that we don't is when we slide backwards. Well, I agree with you. And what I can leave you with today is this. Um, you know, there's a gazillion books out there on uh, how to live the Christian life, right? So what John is teaching you is the irreducible essence. What did you learn today? Agape is God. Where is God? Inside of you. What could possibly happen? What's God's possible potential for us? That we can become fully developed, fully realized, agape-centered human beings. And that's what God wants to do among us. And how God's going to do it in each one of you uh, is unique to your circumstance. I think God will be happy if we all just say, can you say this? Can you pray with me? Why don't you pray with me right now? If you can pray with me, pray this prayer. God, we are amazed at your agape love. It's beyond us. You're beyond us. And uh, we try to, with our minds, understand what agape is. But we now know it's you, a person. And we want to be healed of our selfishness, of our sinfulness. And we ask you to do that supernatural work within us. That your agape, you as agape, would truly fill us and heal us. And may this be the greatest gift that we can give to the world 
this year and at all times that they see the Christ that died for us and them living inside of us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, God bless you all. Have a great Christmas. See you. Take care.